0: everybody, welcome back to a new episode of the New American Media podcast. So happy you guys are here today. Our new guest, he's a good friend of mine. I've known him since we were in college. We were in the same fraternity together. He is one of the few people that I know that left a cushy plum corporate job to get into the world of entrepreneurship and we're gonna talk to him a little bit about that today. I want you guys to meet my friend, Greg Chang.
1: Nice to meet everyone. Good, man, you know, it's uh, another another day, feeling blessed, and uh, thanks for having me.
0: Yes, yes, great for you to be here. Couple of questions, as you know, we both went to Carolina together. After that, you went and worked in corporate America, um, and then you chose entrepreneurship. Tell me what about your childhood, your upbringing as a new American, second generation, I would say, because you were born here in the United States, correct? Yes. Yeah. What about that kind of made you want to go into entrepreneurship and just describe a little bit about your upbringing and your childhood?
1: Yeah, so um, I grew up in a real small town called East Lyme, Connecticut, and we were famous for Lyme disease. Literally, that's where Lyme disease was discovered. And so it's like this small town on the uh, sort of the southeast shores of Connecticut. And we were uh, one of a few uh, non-white families. It was mostly mostly Irish Catholic, actually. And, um, you know, like many minorities many first or second generation we, we really stood out and um that always gave me a little bit chip a little bit of a chip on my shoulder as as you well know from knowing me um to prove myself and to stand out in a good way hopefully <laughs> um but you know i was i was raised in a house of problem solvers and so i don't see myself as a entrepreneur or a business person i see myself as a as a problem solver and that's what I'm really passionate about. the the other The other thing about uh, my childhood, which really, really has influenced me and wired as a really competitive person for better or worse, was I uh, I grew up playing competitive sports. I was uh, nationally ranked in uh, tennis, and that meant every week you're going online to usta.com, refreshing the rankings list and seeing where you were.
0: Oh and wow! you're saying okay
1: am i 43 today oh why am i 49 what did i do what did i lose to? who's above me and then i've got my parents on each of my shoulders saying you can do better than that like you can be number one in the country in the world if you want to be and that just that's um, that
0: asian mentality
1: it is and i think that's the immigrant mentality to always reach for something a little bit better because you know our parents came here wanting something better for themselves wanting something better for their children and so they engendered in me this desire to always improve myself a little bit more. And it's really great for my career. Maybe not so great for uh, my marriage, but uh, <laughs> that's that's who I am. That's really shaped, shaped me.
0: That talk is for another day, my friend. But <laughs> tell me this: What did you want to be as a child growing up, and how how is that different to where you are today?
1: You know, it's funny. The um, first two jobs I really wanted to do was one I wanted to be a journalist because I, I love writing and um, I really believe speaking truth to power and um, empowering voices that don't otherwise get a platform. I was quickly discouraged from doing that job from by my parents who said, you're not going to make any money. You can write in other things. <laughs> so, yeah, very um, true. And we're paying your tuition. So, you know. Think about, consider something else. I then thought about uh, being a psychiatrist, actually. You know, a lot of people I knew growing up struggled with mental health and I wanted to to help them. But, you know, that's a a pretty big burden to shoulder to carry with you. But I would say being a business executive is almost like being a psychiatrist. (laughs) Because, you know, all of your weekly one-on-ones with your people is like, they're sitting on the psychiatrist chair going through their problems. And it's just as much about the business problems that someone's encountering as it is the interpersonal issues, how something made them feel, how something made another person on their team feel, and how, how to deal through that to reach your goals as an individual and as a company. So, um, you know, channeled a different way. I Sometimes I do feel like uh, my main job is to be a little bit of a psychiatrist.
0: No, you're 100% correct. I think... One of the good attributes of a good CEO is not the fact that the people work for him, but he works for his people and make sure they have the tools they need to succeed. And what you just described currently is one of the greatest attributes of a good CEO and a good leader.
1: It was a, it was a journey to get there, you know. going back to the threat of trying to improve um, through everything you do a little bit day by day. Um, when I, you know, first was an executive, I I focused on the what too much, like the business results, the, the things you could measure, and not as much the how, how you get there, because how you do it matters to people and dictates whether the what is sustainable, because if you're leaning in on people too hard, only thinking about the business results, people aren't going to go to bat for you. They're not going to go the extra mile for you. They're not going to lean into the mission and the vision of the company. So the, the how matters, and I'm, I'm still learning about that for sure.
0: So tell me this. This is, you know, around the 2006 seven time frame. We have just graduated. You, at that time, I think, went to go work for Kraft, did the whole corporate thing, and then I remember you coming back to Carolina for grad school. What kind of motivated you to do that? And Talk about your steps from going there to working at Duke to kind of starting those entrepreneurial ideas.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I went to work for Kraft Foods because I honestly did not know what I wanted to do. And it was a good company. I got a, a, a company car, which was actually a, a pretty crappy Chrysler Sebring. <laughs> um and um it was a rotational management program so i got a lot of different experience and i figured hey you know what i'll I'll learn a lot and take it from there towards the end of my time there i actually had an important decision to make they really liked what i was doing um and they offered me the ability to either go to boston to work on the stop and shop account or to benville arkansas to work on the walmart account and everyone at craft Foods said greg you gotta take the walmart account once you do that stint, write your own check. You take any job you want. That's the executive path. But you know, around that time, one of my um, former um, mentors and professors from high school he passed away due to an adverse medical event. Um, and actually, you know, correction: medical negligence, actually. So um, you know, he his family had a history of colorectal cancer. And because of that, he went in every year early to do screenings, you know, way, way ahead of what the recommended guidelines were. Well, it turns out the year he developed cancer, his doctor just didn't even read the x-ray.
0: Oh and my gosh.
1: That was really eye-opening for me in terms of hey, there's this huge problem in the US where doctors, nurses, and hospitals generally are thinking more about the administration. Than they are actually providing care. So like I said, I'm a problem solver. So the more I dug into that, the more I realized how screwed up the American healthcare system was and still is. And so, you know, not having a science inclination, I said, okay, well, I'm not going to be a doctor, but I could help the health system by getting into administration, thinking about public health. And that's why I went back to UNC to get my a Masters of Healthcare Administration at the Gilling School of Public Health, which was just an just an amazing experience.
0: Nah, no, great school. I think at the time it was number one in the country for public health. It probably still is. You know, I I, I still wish sometimes that you would have been at Kraft because if many of you might not know this, but Greg's nickname in college was G Cheese, and then he went <laughs> to go work at Kraft, so he was G Cheese. So <laughs> he's a cheese man. But um all sudden- so how apart, long have you been
1: holding that cheesy joke?
0: <laughs> I've been I've been wanting to say it for a long time. So I'm so glad bad. I got it in today. Um so tell me now, after you're out of the School of Public Health, you go and work at Duke and kind of what that experience prepared you to help start your own company.
1: Yeah, well, it was a really great experience working at a world-class institution for you know providing healthcare, and I got to partner with some of the world's most uh, renowned doctors and researchers in the Department of Orthopedic Surgery. Um, and and some at the beginning, it was a little intimidating because you know you had these people who were the alphas of the alphas in their space um, that partnered with me, relied on me, and it really gave me a deeper insight and appreciation for the U.S. healthcare system, um, how care is delivered, the good and the bad, all the perverse incentives in the system that are really interesting, and you could fill an entire podcasts just on that topic. But, um, you know, I, um, I soon discovered that I was running through walls to accomplish things, but when I was doing those, um, when I was doing that, I, I wasn't really rewarded. I was um, I'm not uh, almost disciplined for that. Now, I'll give you an example. I, I just figured we needed to do more digital marketing um, to attract patients. And so I created a Facebook page for Duke Orthopedics. I grew up from zero to 100,000 followers. Oh, wow. I did um, a lot with um, Google AdWords before that was pro- proliferated within healthcare. And, you know, just through those efforts, we generated multimillion dollars in incremental revenue that you could attribute. But instead of talking about that, I got called into the chief compliance officer's office and was told, hey, you can't do this. There's no policy for social media. You're talking to patients online. Like, You can't do that without guidelines and rules. And so I just became incredibly frustrated because I felt I was doing a great service to the organization, um, but I was rep- reprimanded for it. Around that time, I started I started to learn more about technology startups, um, that whole space. I began um, learning more about how collaboration between doctors and healthcare organizations was not as fast as one might like. So to get from an idea to going through that idea with multiple institutions, creating new science was a very long process. And that was the beginnings of the idea for 4MD, this private physician social network that we created, where um, you know we started with Duke Orthopedics. We built an alumni network for them. We got that off the ground with one of the physicians at Duke, my old boss, and our, actually our mutual friend, Samir, he was chief technology yeah. officer. You know, I just became enamored with this concept of accelerating knowledge. So in 2012, I made a decision to move. 30 days later, I packed up my uh, home in Durham into a U-Haul. I drove it up to New York City, you know, and by the way, driving 12 hours with a U-Haul is not the most fun thing. Um, (laughs) um, That's
0: got to be intense.
1: Yeah, I clipped. I think I clipped a hot dog cart when I first drove into Manhattan, but uh, I'm not certain.
0: That's a rite of passage right there. Officially a New
1: Yorker. Exactly. You know, and then, you know, we bootstrapped it for um, I think six months. Um, We entered a a healthcare accelerator called Blueprint Health, which was an amazing, amazing experience where I got to meet a lot of really great entrepreneurs, many of whom are really successful today. And we got down to my last $30 in my bank account. And uh, we got our first investment check, which was amazing. So that was the beginning of the journey. And I'm really grateful for my experience at Duke, but that just catalyzed my, the rest of my experience.
0: Well, I remember talking to you during that time from 2012 onward. And I remember even when you were running it out of your apartment in New York City and in Samir's bedroom, there was a huge desk and that's where y'all would work. And so kind of tell me like, what were some of the most difficult parts and how you persevered through all of that, and what it has made you today.
1: It was all difficult, you know. When you're, when it's your business, when you're, we've taken other people's money. There's a lot on the line, and so every moment just feels a little bit denser. So um, I think it's mostly that there's no one else to answer your question for you. You know, you've got to figure it out. And so um, I got what I asked for there, but. The you know the I think the true sign of a successful entrepreneur is more about how they persevere through adversity. You're gonna fall and hit the mat, but you gotta pick yourself back up, and that's what it was about. So in 2016, we had built to um, a pretty critical mass, and um, we were approached to be acquired by a couple companies. And um, at the beginning of 2016, um, we sold to Everyday Health, um, which was a publicly traded company at the time for an undisclosed amount. Um, So it was a a really amazing experience to have been become a successfully exited entrepreneur. Um, But I will say I, I definitely gained more than a few white hairs and a couple temporary bald spots along the way.
0: tell me tell me how that feeling was the day that you kind of finally sold. Was it euphoric or any other kind of description you may have?
1: It was actually a relief <laughs> relief that um, we hadn't totally screwed it up. <laughs> 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 but we were also beginning another chapter with everyday health because we were staying on. and we eventually doubled the company again in terms of number of physicians we reached. Uh, we got to uh, just about one of every eight physicians in the U.S. on the platform. Oh wow! Um, but you know, we are halfway on that journey when when we sold. So it was it was the beginning at that point.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. So tell me then, how did you transition from that to where you are today? And my best question here, I'm saving, is when is your next startup, and how am I going to be involved? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, well, today I'm, I'm running a couple businesses. So I'm a divisional CEO slash general manager for, you know, healthy careers and Arthur L. Davis Publishing. You know, I've got about a, a little over 100 people on my team. Oh, wow. um, and, you know, I was getting to a point at Everyday Health where I was getting a little bored. I didn't know what to do. And I got tapped to to run these businesses. And it's just been an amazing new sort of experience being an entrepreneur, I guess you could say. When am I going to start my next thing? You know, like I said, it's, it's, it's about problem solving. So the next time a problem just really grabs me by the collar, where I feel possessed by it, and I feel just a need to solve it, that's when I'm going to do my next thing, whether that's starting something, buying something that has some unlocked potential that I think I can I can help it realize, that's really where it's gonna come in. So if I ever need a, a head of sales or <laughs> um, someone to help me finance the company, I'll definitely give you a call.
0: No, definitely, that's great. Well, it's good to have you on the pod, man. Being an entrepreneur, being kind of a new American in that sense, to the person you are today. And, you know, I want to tell everyone this, you are now a father and kind of some words of wisdom that you would give to that next generation of entrepreneur.
1: Yeah. You know, I think there's, um, a lot of entrepreneurs who like the idea of being an entrepreneur and like, they like the fact that, Hey, if I raise money, I'm going to get publicity and all of that. And it's really more about, hey, what, what problem can I solve for people? Can I make someone's life a little bit easier and do that at scale? And if, if you can lean into that, then um, I think that's where you'll find success. You know, the thing I think about as, um, you know, an immigrant, um, it's not something I consciously think about anymore, but it's, it's definitely ingrained in me, is I try to represent my background and my people as well as possible every day because there's a whole host of people here who don't get exposure regularly to people who are, you and me, are, are different shades of brown. And the only way that we're gonna become better as a country is if we can work together, get to know each other better. And I, I try every day to make a good impression. I think there's just so much potential that's um, unlocked through immigrants. That's the backbone of this country. And um, I just want people to, to you know? I want, I want people to, to to realize that's what really drives this great country.
0: No, that's amazing. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, to be honest with you. Thank you for coming on the pod. It's great having you and looking forward to when we can hang out again and throw down a couple of drinks.
1: You know, it'll be soon. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Definitely. Thanks, Greg.